What's going on, good people, and welcome to Live by the Three with your boy, Curly. Big shout out to returning listeners, and if you're a first-time listener, welcome, and I hope you enjoy the show. Now, before we get into episode 13, and I want to give a big thank you once again to all of you for making this possible, I want to give a big shout out to my boy, Mac, from the Running Off the Screen podcast. He was supposed to be part of this episode today, but unfortunately, he contracted CB19 is recovering thankfully so our thoughts and prayers are with you my brother and we will pick this up when you are at full strength so since we last spoke the raptors have been on a bit of a tear and it seems to be a recurring theme i've said that more than once but definitely love to talk about winning basketball especially when it comes to the raptors we're gonna go back in time and we're gonna pick this up on march 24th where the Cavs were visiting the raptors this game was a very important one for the raptors it was the battle for the sixth spot the Cavs have dominated the last three meetings against the raptors and unfortunately hold the tiebreaker on the sixth spot so this was a very important game and more importantly after a 15 game absence the raptors got back og ananobi i'm not going to spend too much time talking about this game as the raptors did start out slow I believe they missed their first six or seven shots and then they hit their next seven or eight and eventually asserted their dominance. The Cavs made a push in the third being led by Darius Garland, but the Raptors weathered the storm. Siakam was right there with them. They were basically going shot for shot. Siakam eventually edged out Garland scoring 11 points to Garland's nine. And they took an 83 to 75 lead into the fourth and the Raptors did not look back. This was a monster game for Siakam. I believe he he went six for seven from three. And if Siakam is hitting threes, you already know the outcome. The Raptors win 117 to 104. The Cavs shot 37 for 79 from the field, giving them 47%, 12 for 30 from three, giving them 40%, 18 for 22, giving them 82% from the free throw line. The Raptors shot 42 for 89, giving them 47% from the field, 16 for 37 from three, giving them 43%. They took care of business from the line, 17 for 19, giving them 90%. As I said, the the Raptors were led by Pascal Siakam, who had a monster game, 35 points, 5 rebounds, 6 assists. Very efficient from the field, 12 for 20 from the field, giving him 60%, and again, 6 for 7 from 3, giving him 85, almost 86% from the 3-point line. Scotty Barnes chipped in with 11. OG scored 14 on his return. Freddie chipped in with 10 points, struggled from the field, but didn't need to Siakam shouldered the load pressure shipped in with 10 Boucher with 17 points and eight rebounds shot two for four from three so we got production from everyone and obviously led to a very dominant victory over the Cavaliers Lori Marketing scored 20 for the Cavs Kevin Love with a double double 12 points 10 rebounds Evan Mobley 11 points eight rebounds Darius Garland with a double-double, 18 points and 10 assists. It was refreshing to see the Raptors step up huge when they needed it. Not the all-rounded game you would expect from them on a consistent basis, but 
a win is a win, no matter how you get it. And the Raptors continue their quest for the playoffs and avoiding the play-in. Which brings us to our March 26th game where the Pacers were visiting the Raptors. And I forgot to mention one thing when discussing the Cavaliers game. We were without Gary Trent Jr. who had a toe injury. I believe it was a hyperextended toe. He was not available for the Pacers game. So the Raptors in familiar territory when it comes to shuffling lineups. And the Pacers were dealing with their own injuries. No Chris Duarte, Malcolm Brogdon, and Miles Turner was shut down for the season. So I was under the impression that this was a very winnable game for the Raptors and they asserted their dominance early. The Pacers were down early, but that's not the only thing that happened during that game. The most interesting thing that happened during this game is that one of the stadium speakers above the stands caught fire and led to two sections on the east side of the arena to be cleared. And unfortunately, by the advice of the Toronto Fire Services, the game had to be suspended and the arena to be evacuated. Now, the incident itself wasn't serious, so everything was precautionary measures as there was an odor from the speaker getting on fire that they did not want to assume any risk, and rightfully so. And it led to the game being delayed by 70 minutes with the Raptors leading 66 to 38 with 405 left in the second. During the delay, two workers hung from the ceiling and extinguished a small speaker fire. And the game eventually resumed after the 70 minute delay without fans, not unknown territory for the Raptors. And they picked up where they left off in the second and going into the shortened half time, which was which is normally 15 minutes, I believe it was cut in half to seven minutes and 30 seconds. Raptors led 74 to 46, and for precautionary measures, once again, Fred VanVleet, who's still nursing that bum knee, was shut down for the rest of the night. They didn't need him. The Raptors win convincingly, 131 to 91. The Pacers shot 33 for 79 from the field, giving them 42%, 11 for 36 from three, giving them 31%, 14 for 20 from the free throw line, giving them 70%. The Raptors shot a very high percentage, 51 for 84, giving them 61% from the field, 15 for 32 from three, giving them 47%. Missed a couple free throws, but it didn't matter, especially when you're blowing a team out the way that the Raptors did. 14 for 19, giving them 74% from the line. The Pacers were led by hometown native O'Shea Brissett with 21 points, 8 rebounds, Justin Anderson, 18 points, Jalen Smith with 15, Buddy Heald with 14. For the Raptors, OG had a very efficient game, scoring 16 points, Pascal with 23, Scotty Barnes, 19 points, 6 rebounds, 7 assists, and again, Freddie struggled. Precious Detrue and Chris Boucher were monsters off the bench. Both of them hitting double figures. Precious with 18. Boucher with a double-double, 15 points and 10 rebounds. And Thaddeus Young, 11 points. Very efficient from the field, shooting 50%. And he's been contributing as if he's been playing with the Raptors for years. So you definitely love that he's catching fire at the right time leading into the postseason. 
again. The Raptors dominated from beginning to finish, even though there was a bit of a delay in the game, but nothing unfamiliar to the Raptors. This is familiar territory for them. Weird circumstances, the Raptors just find a way. Which brings us to our March 28th game, where the Celtics were visiting the Raptors. Now, the Celtics have been one of the hottest teams since the beginning of the year. Amy Udoka has the team engaged, they bought in, and they've asserted their dominance since the beginning of January and have not looked back. I knew this was going to be a tough game. That quickly changed once I found out that Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Al Horford would not be would not be playing, sorry. And Gary Trent Jr. would be rejoining the Raptors. So we would have a healthy lineup. Celtics did not have a healthy lineup. Shouldn't have been a favorable win for the Raptors. Did not happen that way because another big three stepped up for the Celtics. I'm talking about the NBA refs. Now, it is not my style and I don't believe a favorable whistle. I'm of the mindset that you should play through it. The whistle is not going your way. Find another way to be effective during the game. Now, it's, it is incredibly frustrating when one team is getting more calls than the other or they're getting the benefit of the doubt on similar plays. But when you complain to the refs or you hang back to plead your case to a ref, it sometimes leads to fast break opportunities or easy opportunities for the opposing team. And that's why I don't believe in complaining. Just work through it. Eventually, it will go your way. Despite all the adversity, that the refs were given the Raptors. Pascal Siakam was playing out of his mind, had a monster game for the Raptors. And the Celtics, who is a very good defensive-minded team, simply had no response for Siakam. And it seemed like they were going to live and die with Siakam being them, beating them all game long. We're gonna pick this up with less than 11 seconds to go after Siakam hits two free throws, tying the game at 106 apiece. Raptors forced overtime. We're going to pick this up late in the OT with 118 to go. The Raptors led 113 to 110. Siakam had the ball at the top of the key, killing the clock. Eventually, he takes a step back three with less than a minute to go. He missed. Thad Young tries to tip it back out. He was fouled. No call. No surprise there. Siakam goes for the ball as well as Grant Williams on a 50-50 ball. Siakam gets called for the foul as Grant Williams gets knocked down to the floor. He fouls out after scoring 40 and he joins Scotty Barnes who also fouled out earlier in the game. Which led to the Celtics going to the free throw line. William hits two free throws bringing the game within one. 113 to 112 with 51 seconds left. In the Raptors next possession, Gary Trent found an open Thaddeus Young. He went up for the floater. It rimmed out. The Celtics regained possession with less than 35 to go. The ball eventually finds Derek White being guarded by Gary Trent Jr. He takes a contested floater, missed. Raptors regain possession. They find Gary Trent Jr. He gets fouled. He casually hits two free throws, giving them a 115 to 112 lead with 14 seconds left. In the Celtics next possession, they had two possible game-winning threes. Both of them missed. Raptors got the rebound. Ball game. The Raptors win 115 to 112. The Celtics shot 39 for 95, giving them 41% from the field. 12 for 40 from three, giving them 30%. Again, like I said, favorable whistle. They made it to the line 28 times, hitting 22, giving them 79%. 46 for 106 from the Raptors, give them 43% from the field, 10 for 39 from three, 
giving them 26%, 13 for 18 from the free throw line, giving them 72%. The Celtics had 10 extra free throws and only confirms what I've been saying. You hit your free throws, you have an opportunity to win the game. If the Raptors hit two, there'd be no need for an overtime. The Raptors would have won the game, but despite all the adversity, despite all the favorable calls going the Celtics' way, the Raptors still win. The Celtics were led by Marcus Smart, dropping 28 points. Also had 10 rebounds, giving him a double-double. 17 points from Grant Williams. Derek White with 15. For the Raptors, again, Pascal was an absolute monster with a double-double, 40 points, 13 rebounds. Fred VanVleet chipped in with 14, Thad Young with 12, OG with 14, Scotty Barnes with 10. The one thing that I really admired about this Celtics game was the Raptors had obstacle after obstacle to overcome. They were down but never out and that just reinforces what we've known for all this time that the Raptors are a tough team. You're not in for any easy game against us. Thankfully, we came away with a win over a very good Boston Celtics team. One would argue that it is concerning that the Raptors had so much trouble with a team that was missing their big three, but a win is a win no matter how you get it, and I will continue to preach that. I thought this game says a lot about the Raptors' character going forward as a Raptors fan you love to see it which brings us to our last game of the homestand the Timberwolves visiting the Raptors before the Raptors go on the road obviously and I was on site for this game I didn't know how much I miss being at a live Raptors game until I was there that night and after two years off obviously because of the pandemic to be in that environment once again it was just an amazing and exciting feeling you know from lining up to get into the arena to finding our seats uh, I rolled with family that night uh, we had almost an entire row to ourselves we rolled about 10 deep and just being in that environment I just had a moment while I was there and I definitely don't want that feeling to go away again and hopefully the worst is behind us now and we can only look forward and that's my mindset from here on in. Enough of the mush, let's focus on the game itself now. The Timberwolves have been a team historically known for their struggles, not much success, especially come coming into the postseason, but they've been playing better basketball and have made it tough on teams. And now they are sitting comfortably in a play-in, and if they're able to string a couple to a couple wins together and hoping for the people in front of them to lose they can quite possibly be in a playoff scenario so definitely picked a good game to see live and it was going to be an exciting one did not appear that way in the early going as pascal freddie and scotty were struggling in the early part of the game and the t wolves dominated them being led by carl anthony towns 30 to 20 in the first. Eventually, the Timberwolves had a 17 point lead in the early parts of the second quarter, and you started to think that it was going to be one of those games that the Raptors would not have been able to dig themselves out of a hole. But as we know, the Raptors don't go down without a fight, and it was led 
by Gary Trent Jr., Precious Achua, and OG Ananobi. Their hot three-point shooting brought us back into the game and we took a 62-60 to lead into the second half. And from then, the Raptors did not look back and just dominated them. Even the whistle favored the Raptors. I'm not afraid to admit that, but the Raptors made it tough on the Timberwolves to get into any sort of rhythm. Everything was clicking for the Raptors and eventually led to a dominant 125 to 102 victory. The Timberwolves shot 37 for 92 from the field, giving them 40%, 11 for 37 from three, giving them 30%, 17 for 23 from the free throw line at 74%. The Raptors shot 48 for 96 from the field, giving them 50%, 18 for 36 from three, giving them 50%, 11 for 15 from the free throw line, giving them 73%. The T-Wolves were led by Anthony Edwards scoring 24 points and grabbing 8 rebounds. Carl Anthony Towns had a double-double, 16 points, 10 rebounds. D'Angelo Russell struggled all game long, only finishing with 13 points. The Raptors were led by Gary Trent Jr., 29 points, 6 for 8 from 3, 22 points from OG. He was perfect from 3, 4 for 4. Pascal Siakam had a triple-double, even though he struggled, had a triple-double, 12 points, 10 rebounds, 13 assists. Scotty Barnes, who was benched in at the beginning of the first half, and he finished with 17 points, came, came out late in the third like a man possessed and did not look back. And apparently, according to Nick Nurse, he was part of that decision. He said, let Precious Chua start the second half, and I'll back him up. And it was a decision that definitely had an impact on the game. And Precious was very effective in the second and third. And Scotty Barnes closed out the game. Again, I believe scoring 14 points in the second half alone. So very mature of the rookie as he continues to grow as one of the most important pieces for the Raptors. And speaking of Precious Achua, finished the game with 13 points and Thad Young with 10. What I loved about this game was the Raptors were down, but they found ways to battle back and to win the game, especially when their best players in Pascal and Fred were not able to bring it that night. To have guys like Gary Trent Jr., OG, step up in the way that they did to pick up the slack. This is the kind of team effort you need going into the postseason. The Raptors are 10-2 and in their last 12 after this game. And they seem to be clicking at the right time. Definitely love what you're seeing from the Raptors going in again into the postseason. Now we're going to do a soft preview game the Raptors are on the road and the game is happening on April 1st and again a very soft preview the Raptors are just a better team yes Orlando has been making it tough on some teams it made it tough on the Raptors coming away with a slim victory when they were last year but the Raptors are on a different level right now one can only imagine that the Raptors will be able to assert their dominance in the early part of the game and not give the Orlando Magic any room to breathe. I expect the Raptors to come away with a victory, but I've also expected them to do that on, on several other times this season.
but where they were a couple of weeks ago to where they are now, not really concerned. I believe that the Raptors will come away with the victory. And on Sunday, April 3rd, we got the return of Kyle Lowry. The Miami Heat are visiting the Toronto Raptors. And Kyle has made it clear that he was not going to return to Scotiabank Arena unless there were fans in the arena. And he is getting his wish. We finally get to see Kyle Lowry since his departure from the Raptors in a Miami Heat uniform. And he put out a nice tribute for the city of Toronto and the Raptors organization. Uh, I'm going to read a small portion of it and I quote I'm excited as hell to play in Scotiabank Arena again and to hear Raptors fans do their thing again I'm excited to be on a court with Freddie and Pascal and OG again if Masai is big bro then those are my little bros and they're the guys now they're taking over and I'm excited to experience that energy of Toronto basketball again and quote one can only imagine the emotions running that day and during that game definitely looking forward to it the heat are near the top of the east holding a slim lead i have no doubt that that game is gonna bring playoff type atmosphere and i am definitely definitely looking forward to one of the most anticipated games for the raptors this season now i'd like to revisit a topic that i've discussed on more than one occasion and that's scotty barnes for rookie of the year now rookie of the year is supposed to go to the most outstanding rookie that means the rookie that is playing the best should win the award. Now, I was listening to the Smith & Jones podcast and they had ESPN reporter Jared Greenberg, who has a ballot to vote on all the awards for the, for the end of the season. And he said that the Rookie of the Year award is being looked at as the MVP. And the narrative that continues to be pushed is that Evan Mobley is the Rookie of the Year because of his impact for the Cavaliers and on the Cavaliers. Now, I'm not going to discount the play of Evan Mobley in the early part of the season, but he's not the reason why the Cavaliers are in the position that they're in. In my humble opinion, it was the unfortunate injury of Colin Sexton, who's a ball-dominant guard, getting hurt. And offense was able to reinvent itself being led by Darius Garland who is more of a playmaker can look for his own and look for others and create opportunities for them and I think that is the difference when you don't have the ball sticking in one player's hand on a consistent basis definitely is a step in the right direction for your team to be successful but you're seeing the shift now that the American, especially on the American side, where they're giving Scotty Barnes his due, and rightfully so. There hasn't been a rookie, especially from an impact standpoint, and more importantly, the expectation that Scotty Barnes was not going to be as effective and as important to the Raptors organization this year as he would in future years is the reason he should be rookie of the year. And you hear the argument that, oh, he's playing with Pascal and he's playing with Fred. That should not take away from Scotty Barnes exceeding all expectations this season. Scotty Barnes is the best rookie. He has been, has been playing the most consistent all season long, not taking anything away again from Evan Mobley, who started off the season great, but has cooled off in the later half, especially after the All-Star break. Kate Cunningham was off to a slow start. Same with Jalen Green. 
there's there is not a doubt in my mind that we'll be talking about these four guys for years to come if their success continues and they're able to build on year one as they have but i will close with this if scotty barnes does not win rookie of the year i have no doubt that that's going to light a fire under him give put a chip on his shoulder and he'll be out to prove everyone wrong which would necessarily not be a bad thing but would also show how insignificant that award is that instead of rewarding a player for his stellar play and being intricate in a team's success that was supposed to go be going through a quote-unquote rebuild does not get rookie of the year might as well scrap the award because it it definitely downplays the effort of these young players coming in and not rewarding them for their excellent play. And I'll leave it at that. Now let's take a look at around the association. And a particular topic has caught my eye. And it's I think it's worthy discussing. And I've strayed away from this topic because I didn't want to discuss politics in a basketball podcast but politics and sports have been so synonymous in the last few years and i'm talking about the vaccination status of nba players and its impact come playoff time now tim botemps i hope i didn't butcher his name reached out to four teams in front of the raptors the bucks the celtics the heat and the sixers and asked them about the possibility of facing the Raptors and their vaccination status as the rules are you have to be fully vaccinated to enter Canada the Bucks and Heat both said that they're ready to go but the Celtics and Sixers declined to comment on it which definitely begs the question if Horford who was out for personal reasons and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum were out with possible knee issues if it had to do with their vaccination status because they did not travel with the team now i think if memory serves me correctly that jalen brown has been out on more than one occasion on health and safety protocol not too sure about jason tatum and i know al horford has as well makes you wonder if the celtics and quite possibly the sixers are going to be quite possibly jockeying for position in terms of having favorable matchups maybe resting a few players in terms of avoiding a possible matchup with Toronto. Now, I don't think any team wants to face Toronto in the first round. I think the Brooklyn Nets are singing their praises to their respective gods that they will not be playing the Raptors in a one-and-done situation. But if the Celtics and the Sixers particularly decide to rest some players, I mean, the Bucks are resting some players against their... in a back-to-back scenario after beating the Nets on... March 31st in the overtime game that if it's quite a realistic thought that the Raptors can possibly get into the top four because of this small little tidbit of information so it's definitely going to be interesting how the rest of the season pans out whatever the situation may be I could care less if it means that the Raptors are going to have a deep playoff run especially in a quote-unquote rebuilding year or retool year i'm all in now it doesn't mean that this is a for sure thing as players can get vaccinated i believe within the, the, well, this is the end of the week but in, into the early parts of next week if they happen to get vaccinated they'll fall within the, the appropriate time frame to be eligible to travel into toronto so 
let's see how this pans out but again i'm all for the raptors having any sort of favors falling their way as we know what it's like to be the only canadian team in the nba and speaking of the nets ben simmons resumes on court workouts and they are hopeful for a debut a debut come playoff time it'll be interesting to see how he's going to fit in in a in a play-in scenario especially having sit out for as long as he has and hasn't been on the basketball court all season long but it's been well documented that the nets are not a very good defensive team and that getting a healthy ben simmons to to especially if anything imp have an impact on the defensive side of the ball will definitely be something that the nets will embrace come playoff time also seth curry has been ruled out for the remainder of the regular season the warriors have been slipping as of late uh, curry has suffered a sprained foot injury on march 16th and they were pretty optimistic before that he might return for one or two games of the regular season but definitely does not seem to be the case now he will be gradually introduced to individual on-court activities in the coming week and the warriors will provide an update on april 11th in terms of what curry's status is i think it could not come at a better time for curry who's been shouldering the load from last season and now he's been struggling by curry standards as i mentioned before this season um definitely don't like to see anyone being injured but i think the rest would do some good for curry and also give the guys uh on the warriors team like the clay, uh, clay thompson jordan Poole, and wiggins who's been struggling since the all-star break draymond green who's coming back and all the other young players that they have on their team the opportunity with curry out of the lineup so you definitely hope that they're able to put it together string some wins together and put them in a favorable position come playoff time and lastly on our little injury review we got lebron james and anthony davis upgraded to questionable for a game against the pelicans happening on april 1st now this is a very this is a critical game for the lakers the pelicans have a two-game lead over the lakers and san antonio spurs for the ninth seed this is a must win for the lakers and it comes against a very tough Pelicans team and they've been playing better basketball since the trade deadline and the addition of CJ McCollum. One definitely begs the question what sense it makes to bring LeBron and Anthony Davis given especially Anthony Davis's injury history and LeBron James in the later part of his career being um, slightly quote-unquote injury prone that it would make sense for them to battle for a play-in spot and a possible matchup against the Phoenix Suns or Memphis Grizzlies. I think they should just shut it down, dust themselves off, come next season and start fresh as this season has been a failure to say the least. But we know that when you're a Laker, it comes with a certain pedigree and expectation that you will be competing for a championship every single season. So definitely looks like they're falling into that narrative we'll see uh, again <laughs> I'm, 
I've said it on more than one occasion, that whether the Lakers have success or not makes no difference to me. But from a logical standpoint, does not make sense to be fighting at a possible matchup again against the Suns or Grizzlies and quite possibly leading to a first round exit. And that brings us to the end of our episode. Thank you, as usual, for sticking around. We'll be reviewing the Magic and Heat games upon the next episode, hopefully with Mac again from running off the screen. Hopefully he'll be up at full strength and ready to go. Definitely have some interesting topics to discuss with him. So again, Mac, wishing you a speedy recovery, brother, and look forward to having you on the next episode. As usual, folks. Any news in regarding to the podcast, Raptors content, you can find it all on the Instagram page, live by the dot number three. That is L-I-V-E-B-Y-T-H-E period number three. Follow, like, comment. And until next time, everyone stay safe. Good people. Peace.